"'Never mind, squire. We'll have it as it comes, please. And for record, Mr. Marquis, they ain't my people, they're your people. I'm an Ankh-more pork lad. I've seen the big horse and all that stuff.' An Ankh-more pork citizen will never yield to the idea that there are other cities at least as good as their own, and treat the concept that there could be with humorous disdain. The phrase originated when an Ankh-more pork citizen was shown an equestrian statue in Pseudopolis, and when faced with the beast, said, Maybe it's a big horse, I'm more porkian, an incident that gave rise to a popular barroom song. The view in the late afternoon sun over the Maquis from the terrace was wonderful. "'You have uh, many goblins in Ankh-Morpok, Mr. Liepvig?' the Marquis asked as he poured moist a glass of chilled wine. "'I've heard, of course, of Milord Vetinari's famous melting pot. "'And yet I am informed that many people in Ankh-Morpok still feel very unsure about them "'and think that getting involved with goblins shows that the owner is dirty. "'So much for the prejudices of your countrymen, who are, as one as to say, a fairly dirty lot in any case, whereas here in Querm Notre Logique points out that we are cleaner. After all, Querm is the home of Monsieur Bidet, yet another apparatus for keeping clean, and yet you in Ankh-Morpork sneer at us for being dirty. Yes, I know, it's deplorable, said Moist. I did meet Monsieur Bidet, though regrettably I didn't shake him by the hand. Uh, excuse me, is something wrong?' The Marquis suddenly looked preoccupied. Someone was watching us from the tree over there. I must have spoken too loudly because whoever it is has made haste to get down to the cover of the ground. He's small but larger than a goblin. You hardly ever see them in the trees. There was a movement in the air as of the twilight the darkness vaulted over the parapet and disappeared into the landscape below. He reappeared almost as quickly, saying, Dwarf bugger! "'Have it away on tours. I spit me of him.' "'The Marquis topped up Moist's glass and said, "'A dwarf. Something to do with you, Mr. Lipvig? "'Industrial espionage? "'One would expect the dwarfs to be keen on something like a railway. "'They are, after all, metal workers and traders in ore.' "'I don't think so,' said Moist. "'The Clacks saw a bit of trouble a few months ago "'with extremist factions knocking down some of their towers.' but that seems to have died down now, and there don't seem to be many dwarfs interested in working on the railway. Something to do with the Grags, I expect. The Grags don't seem to like anybody of importance in Ankh-Morpork. Oh, yes, said the Marquis, the famous Coombe Valley Accord and all that business. I believed it to be sorted out. So did everybody else. You must know how it is. Can't please absolutely everybody, and you certainly can't please the Grags however hard you try. Fully refreshed, moist, and of the twilight the darkness, set off into the Maquis to find the goblin denizens, who, even if they did not, strictly speaking, own the land through which the railway would go, needed to be informed and consulted. As squatters on unclaimed land, moist thought, they surely must have some claim to it. As they made their way into the scrubby and thorny landscape, moist pondered the significance of the dwarf who had been spying on him, right here in Querm. Where you didn't normally see dwarfs. This meant he had been followed, and that almost surely meant more than one person. During his misspent youth, and, not to put too fine a point on it, his largely misspent early middle age, he'd reckoned to be conversant with the methodology of spying, and one person alone couldn't ensure reasonable tracking of the target. 
What was the dwarf doing there? Where had he come from? And more important, where did he go? His reverie was interrupted when Of the Twilight the Darkness stopped suddenly by a rocky outcrop, which, as far as Moist could tell, was indistinguishable from several other similar outcrops they had passed already. It was hot, very hot. Wait here, said the goblin. We'll be back in a shake. In fact, it was another sweaty hour, and the sun was beginning to dip below the horizon before the goblin came back along the track, trailed by a large crowd of Quermian goblins, their numbers swelling all the time as even more of them emerged from the undergrowth. When it came to looks, the Querm goblins seemed exactly the same as the ones over the border in Ankh-Morpork. However, unlike the Ankh-Morpork goblins, the Quermian goblins were dressed in a way that could only be called snazzy. They had a certain panache, unavailable to their Ankh-Morpork brethren, and a whiff about them of what was probably odor snail, which, instead of masking the ubiquitous goblin smell, merely lent it an extra piquancy. Admittedly, the materials on show were effectively the same, bits of animal skin, or indeed the animals themselves, birds, feathers, all embellished with sparkling stones. It was as if goblins had discovered taxidermy, but hadn't quite got the important, nay, essential point of scooping out the messy bits first. But trust Quirm goblins to make their own haute couture. Moist smiled. He could see that somehow the goblin lads here in Quirm were trying to do it better, possibly because they had a better class of shaky swagger and a certain cheerful up-yours look in their eyes. Nevertheless, they looked like a people who had been hammered hard on the anvil of fate and had been laminated with the natural bravado which had not entirely hide their wounds. Moist was glad he had of the twilight the darkness on his side, because the goblins of this part of the Maquis clearly had no liking for humanity. Of the twilight the darkness now sidled up to him in his bandy-legged and sneery little way and said, "'These people hurting all oh, so bad it is. People gone, little ones gone.' Pots gone, gone. Put big faces on it, yes. Can no more be truly goblin. Hurt, hurt, hurt. Now I give speech. Of the twilight the darkness turned out to be the goblin equivalent of Moist himself. Moist wasn't fluent in goblin, but you didn't need to know what was being said as you watched the faces and the way of the twilight the darkness waved his hands. He was, in fact, doing a number. Moist couldn't make out the words, but assumed it was something like new life in Ankh-Morpork with all the rats you want and wages. For there they were, ideas and promises curving through the air. And so certain was Moist that he had picked up what was going on that he leaned down and said, Don't forget to say that in Ankh-Morpork goblins are now citizens with rights. Moist was extremely pleased to see the goblin pause and look at him. "'How you know I was talking of Ankh-Morpork, Mr. Lipvig? "'Takes one to know one.' While of the twilight the darkness delivered his speech, the goblins stared at Moist. As stares went, their eyes were not baleful or angry. They were just hopeful, in the grudging way of people who had had to learn pessimism as a survival tactic. One of the goblins then stepped forward and beckoned, clearly wanting to show him something. Of the twilight the darkness was also nudging him to follow. As Moist gingerly threaded his way through the network of almost invisible paths in the wasteland of thorns, pools of poisonous water, and occasional blockages caused by old rockfalls, he noticed a crackling underfoot. 
Bones, he realised, mostly small bones, and in his ear were the words of Of the Twilight the Darkness, "'Young goblins, very tasty, a lot of good eating, bandits thought so. But we hang, Mr. Lipvig, we hang, we hang on.' The horror tripped its way icily over Moist's backbone. Of the Twilight the Darkness continued, "'Those bandits was hungry, small goblins, easy to catch.' "'Are you saying they were eating the goblins?' The vehemence of Moist's cry was picked up by Of the Twilight the Darkness immediately. "'Sure, easy meat. The bandit men eat anything they can catch. Rats, moles, shrews, birds, even stinky bird like raven. Eat it up. Yum, yum. Shit out nasty poisonous stuff. Goblin meat like chicken. Miracle of nature, maybe not, but no use to goblin when bandits around. They don't want much, mister, and good job cause they don't get.' But like me will do any job in free air. Place to live not being killed, yes, hunky dory. And no need food in Ankh-Morpork. Big wahoonie, rats everywhere. Okay, Mr. Twilight, where do we go from here? The goblin gave Moist a cynical look, something which is very easy to do when you're a goblin, because you learn cynicism early and you learn it fast. You give me half-name, Mr. Damp. I forgive, have mercy. This time, I ask you, don't do it again. Is very important. Half-name is shame. Challenge to fight. No, you hasty. No understanding. We'll forgive you. We'll forgive once, Mr. Lipvig. This by way of friendly information, no charge incurred. Whatever Moist von Lipvig was, he knew the use of the right word at the right time. Mr. of the Twilight the Darkness, thank you for your forbearance. It was beginning to rain, sticky, lazy rain, but the goblins seemed to be oblivious to it. These people are the world's most stoical of stoics, Moist thought, albeit with a sting in their tail. I wonder what they are like when they decide, and they will decide, not to take everything on their greasy chins. Of the twilight the darkness grinned at Moist again and declared, "'Hey, you, Mr. Hero, mighty warrior, except, ha, these dumb boogers really think you is bees bollocks. Think sun percolate out your ass." Moist realised that of the twilight the darkness's presentation to the goblins of the delights of Ankh-Morpork and his status in the city might have been somewhat exaggerated. "'What did you say to make them think that?' "'These goblins need hope, Mr. Lipvig.' You ain't genuine good guy, but you can pretend like no bee's nest. I have already explained to them that you are great citizen of Ankh-Morpork and dreadful fighter. Well, said Moist, at least you got one bit right. But the bandits have surely been scared off now. The goblins can stay here, can't they? There'll be jobs on the railway when it comes through here. They'd like that, wouldn't they? Bandit men come back in time, always his bandits. These goblins can't fly, Mr. Soggy. Long way back to Ankh-Morpork line. Looks for you to get them out of here. Me? I ain't just fallen off Hogswatch tree. You don't carry knife, and now it night time, and you are still in Mackie. Worse here than just bandits. Bad worse. Everything bad end up in the Mackie, and you still with no weapon. What are your orders, Mr. Big Man? Moist hesitated. He had a feel for this sort of thing, he was sure, and it hardly ever let him down. OK, we'll take them with us. 
but first you must get us out of here. No, marvellous von Livvig is going to take the people out. Plucky goblin sidekick, just bring up the rear. Really? Okay, then. Just point me in the right direction. There was a track of sorts and myriad little pathways in every direction. Moist and his unhappy but hopeful band were shepherded surreptitiously from behind by Of the Twilight the Darkness, who was becoming a great lieutenant, despite the fact that he brazenly considered Moist to be a bit of a tit, but a useful tit all the same. As they struggled back to what, in a fair wind, might have been called a proper trek, Moist told himself that whilst it was true that Commander Vimes was the man who had been most prominent in the manumission of the goblins, he, Moist, could at least give them a job. You couldn't have a profession as a goblin, now could you? Just made no sense. And yet, if there were such a thing as a professional goblin, then it was definitely of the twilight the darkness, who was so goblin that you could imagine that other goblins would tap one another on the shoulder and say, Blimey, look at that goblin. Doesn't he look like a goblin to you? But jobs got things going, got people going, and raised their self-esteem. After all, goblins, quite apart from now being ubiquitous in the clax industry, were also doing very well, and picking up serious folding money in the ceramics business. Goblin pots were beautiful, extremely fine, and as iridescent as a butterfly's wing. Ungu pots, as they were called, had a major and sacred part in goblin society. In Ankh-Morpork, sensible goblins were making quasi-ungu pots for sale, looking like the real thing, Adorabel said, but with the magic taken out and the wonderful sparkle left in. However, it helped if you didn't pay too much attention to what the pots traditionally held. Moist's reverie was broken by Of the Twilight the Darkness. These poor herbits behind us think you need to know that dwarfs been asking after you, like sneaky one up tree I saw off. My, can't the greedy buggers shift when need? Don't like good flint edge, but still are some around. Reckon they waiting until we get to railway. Right place for ambush. Moist had devoted considerable energies to being a non-combatant, words being his weapon of choice. But when words weren't enough, in extremis, he could deliver telling blows with his fists and feet. Right now he was wondering whether to surreptitiously drag said feet a little so that he would be surrounded by the band of goblins if there was an attack. After all, they all had stone weapons, didn't they? And he didn't, did he? Goblins acquired a fighting spirit with their mother's milk, if indeed their mothers had milk. There was no point in speculating on what else they could have, just the thought turned moist stomach. They continued cautiously into the ever-deepening dusk, now moving as silently as they could manage. Even the goblin toddlers were quiet as they walked towards the promised land. They skirted the grounds of the chateau and moved on through the woods in the direction of the railhead. A while later there came a crushed gravel whisper at Moist's elbow from Of the Twilight the Darkness. "'I sending out some swifter lads to scout ahead. Something not right at railhead.' Couldn't get close enough to see, but says at least dozen dwarfs in woods up there, maybe more. Could hear the buggers clanging. They try to be surreptitious, but dwarfs has not first idea of surreptition. It's all been hammer and tongues to dwarfs. Could try to go round them, but the buggers might try go round us same time. Best, I say, to deal with bogies today, right? No worry. 
Some of these lobster lads know how to fight, and they proud you leading them, ain't you? It wasn't a question, it was a demand. Moist was horribly aware of the whole refugee group clustered around him, their unprepossessing faces full of expectation and miscellaneous fragments of food. There were little ones, some no more than babes in arms. Moist could feel the pressure of their hope, which, alas, he knew was unfounded and probably misplaced. He was no leader, not like Commander Vimes. But what would of the twilight the darkness do if he just ran away? He could outrun any dwarf, make it back to the chateau, but could he outrun a goblin? He shivered and shoved that thought to the very back of his mind, just as a small goblin woman came up to him. "'Go into battle with nice cup of tea,' she said. "'Special goblin tea, very good for you. Boiled in sheep bladder. Excellent when always having to run. Got herbs. You drink. You drink now. Ain't nothing like a nice cup of tea. Medicinal it is.' Of the twilight the darkness handed Moist a large goblin club. "'Many, many ways to die today,' he said, with devastating humour. "'Trust, elderly goblin, this one very much the best. Hang, we hang together.' Moist understood that last rather unfortunate suggestion. It was the traditional goblin-to-goblin greeting, as in hang together or hang separately. He swigged the cold tea, which had a harmless accent of hazelnuts and a soupçon of wool expecting at any moment either to be poisoned or to throw up. In fact, it was pleasant, and it also felt quite nourishing. If there were snails in it, like the wine, then, well, viva escargot, although the secret ingredient, he was quite sure, was quite likely to be avec. The potion appeared to work because a few moments later he felt ready for anything, full of beans or possibly full of avec. Why, in the face of all the gods, had he been so apprehensive when there was absolutely nothing to be frightened of? Oh, dear, no! This cheerful state of mind continued right up until the moment they spotted the red lights of the railhead shining out like a beacon through the surrounding woodlands. Leaving the most elderly goblins with the twigs, any young goblin is thought of as being a twig, hiding in the undergrowth as only goblins could hide, Moist and the rest crept forward. The young men in the travelling work gang had crafted themselves cosy little shacks covered with oilskin. These were extremely portable, and always a place where a friendly face could be certain of a hot drink, stirred with a spanner, of course. And if no gamekeepers were known to be about, a wild avec and rabbit stew might also be available for an alfresco meal. Indeed, the pot of stew still bubbling over the embers of the campfire smelled as good as any moist remembered. He had expected to see the young lads he had met only that morning, cheerfully tucking in after a day's hard work. He had not expected to see corpses, but corpses were what he found. By the glow of the fire and the pale light of the lanterns, he could see that the workers had many things that could usefully have been employed as a weapon, but they had evidently been taken unawares. It had been a terrible encounter, and most certainly they had lost. A quick assay of body parts indicated that there had been nine of them, cut down while having their meal outside their makeshift bothy. Of the twilight the darkness was instantly on the case, sniffing the corpses on the ground. "'These damned dwarfs have been here, oh yes, can smell the nasty buggers, but some of them still here,' he added quickly, pointing to a small piece of woodland in the distance, and dropping his voice to a whisper. "'Hiding in the wood. <laughs> Over there. <laughs> Several. One injured.' His beady goblin eye was glittering and moist, Moist had a sudden sensation of being on fire. 
Please, he managed to say, please tell me, what is a goblin for charge? Much, much later, Moist remembered that he had heard the goblin say at least the beginning of the word, and then the whole world was a crimson haze full of shouting and a dark fog of war. He felt his arms and legs going about their terrible business, especially his arms, and he was aware of noises, unpleasant noises, cracking noises, splatting noises, but they came as a kind of incoherent memory, as did the screams, little parcels of recollection bobbing up and down like the bubbles in a bottle of homemade ginger beer, coming and going and never staying long enough to mean anything. But the bubbles were gradually drifting away now, and when he came to what was left of his senses, he was lying with his back up against a tree. The railhead campfire had been relit, and to Moist's bemused amazement there were the signs of dawn on the horizon. But hadn't they been in this place for only a couple of minutes? Of the twilight the darkness was sitting on a lump of wood nearby, smoking a pipe and occasionally blowing smoke rings into the early blue sky. It was a sight that a painter would love to paint, were it not necessary to paint it in various shades of blood, and to do justice to the scene with several tubes of gore and a splash of whatever colour you needed for guts. Moist's memory of the night before was now strewn with corpses. "'Well, now, ain't you a dark horse, Mr. Dripping?' grinned the goblin. "'Whoever would thought it. Tell you this, you ain't half going to be sore later. You done a man's job, almost goblin job. Three, count em. Well, count bits of em and work it out, but three dwarf crack fighters smashed down like skittles. Two of em wearing first-class micro-mail armour, assassin grade, worth mint, pillage. Here, Take this as souvenir to show Miss Adorabelle. Good on mantelpiece. The goblin threw over what Moist had thought was a lump of wood, and which he could now see was the head of a dwarf, still inside its helmet. That's right. Get it out of system. Throw it up. Throw it up and throw it up again. Very good for tubes, does world of good. Better out than in. Moist staggered to his feet and said, through the winding mists, I couldn't have killed three dwarfs. I'm no fighter, never. It plays havoc with your shoes. Reckon dwarfs would disagree. Mind you, I show the one over there bit of goblin disapproval, as you may say, especially when I got him on ground. Most time everybody keep out of your way, just in case. You was getting a bit indiscriminate, oh, yes. Still no harm's done. No harm done, Moist wailed. I just killed three dwarfs. Wouldn't you say that counts as a little harm? "'Was fair fight, Mr. Slightly Damp. "'One against many, like in best anecdote. "'Tell you already, most us lads climbing trees to get away from you. "'And you not a fighter, you said this, we all hear. "'It was that drink. That's what it was. "'You've filled me full of goblin rot-gut. "'Who knows what it's done to me?' "'Me?' said of the twilight the darkness, trying to look hurt. I keep you alive, so you will see your very nice lady, who is always kind to goblins. Take from me, Mr. Sopping, that drink just open up what's there already. And what was there, may I ask? Rage, Mr. Dripping, you let something off leash. Now you can help us clean bloody mess and get out of here. Moist looked at what remained of the railway workers, who had just been doing their job, being no threat to anybody. 
simple men who knew nothing whatsoever about politics and had wives and children and were now lying dead for a quarrel they had nothing to do with, and the rage swelled up again, almost lifting him off the ground. They hadn't deserved it. Nor had those goblins whose fallen corpses he now saw here and there across the battlefield. Of the twilight the darkness was staring at him and said, "'Amazing what things we learn, that goblins can be people, and you, Mr. Damp, has a heart and crying because of death of men you don't know. World is full of miracle. Maybe I will see you singing in choir.' In the misty light of morning, Moist stared at the grinning goblin, as evil-looking as anything in a picture-book that was designed to give the little kiddies all the nightmares they would ever need, and yet reading him a lecture on morality. "'What are you?' he asked. "'I've been listening to you for days, and you look like a goblin, no doubt about that, but every so often you come out with something I wouldn't expect to hear from a goblin. No offence meant, but you are a smart one.' The goblin relit his pipe, which made him somehow more human, and said carefully, "'Are you saying goblins not very clever, Mr. Lipvig? Goblins not ever brave? Goblins not ever learn? Me, finest learner!' "'All things to all men and all goblins!' Moist looked at the little pile of micromale armour. It was treasure and a half, light and strong and easy to carry, and worth a fortune, lying there on the damp grass. He looked into the goblin's eyes. "'All yours, Mr. Lipvig, to the victor the spoils,' of the twilight the darkness said cheerfully. "'No, they can have it,' said Moist, indicating the Quermian goblins. "'Don't need it,' said the goblin. "'Take your spoils, Mr. Lipvig. "'You never know when useful.' Moist looked at what remained of the dwarf fighters and thought, "'Where's Mr. Shriek when you need him?' And that thought prompted another. A reliable witness was essential. He asked of the twilight the darkness to fetch the Marquis or any of his workers from the chateau with an iconograph if they had one. "'We need people to know about this.' After the Marquis, trailed by goggling servants, had inspected the scene, exclaimed his horror, organised the taking of iconographs, and departed back to the chateau, promising to send the news by clacks at once, the decencies could be attended to. The corpses of the railway workers and goblins who had fallen in the battle were carefully, even reverentially, placed onto the handcar. A few of the goblins disappeared into the scenery and returned with wild flowers to put on the bodies. It was one of those little observations that subtly turned Moist's universe around, goblins believing that those who fell in battle had paid their dues. After the solemn ceremony was over, the goblins took turns at pumping the lever of the handcar as Moist, the goblin band, and their sad cargo headed back slowly along the track to the border, where they stopped to send out their own clacks. Moist arranged with the border guard for the bodies to be shrouded and put in a cold place until someone was sent to pick them up. One of the guards took umbrage that the dead goblins were being left alongside the bodies of what he called real people, and so Moist had a rather pointed little chat with him, after which the man was much better informed, although bleeding slightly from his nose. The memory of oh-so-many little bones hadn't had enough time to be forgotten, and perhaps some of the potion was still alive inside Moist. It was that kind of day. That done, Moist looked at the ribbon of goblins trailing behind him, and then looked up at a sign beside the Quirm turnpike which told the world that it was the well-known Fat Marie's. 
There could be no mistake about how the proprietor got her name, and like so many roadside eateries, she sold hot food quickly and served reasonable coffee to travellers, and that was that. Her clientele hadn't even heard of cuisine. They just needed surety of carbohydrate and grease. However, she proved somewhat dubious about feeding goblins, and said, "'I might lose my regulars if I let them lot in.' And once again Moist had to explain the facts of life, making it clear that refusing to serve goblins would very soon lead to her not feeding anyone else at all once Lord Vetinari had been informed. Fat Marie's was on Ang Morpork land, and Vetinari was strict. "'After all,' Moist said, "'they'll sit outside. They really don't like rooms, and I'm paying, okay?' Suitably chastened, Fat Marie shoveled out rather bad fish and chips and a fried slice to every goblin, and was amazed at how fast they ate, especially the fried slice. That was one thing about the goblins. They weren't fussy. After their meal, Moist arranged for the goblins to travel on to Harry's compound in the freight trucks of the utility engine that serviced the railhead, went to find the golem horse, still obediently rolling and galloping in the meadow, and headed back towards the city.' 